Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Mi gente, I'm super excited about this week's wine sponsor as I am every sponsor because they're always such fabulous wines. This week we have Yama's Family Wine. The Yama's Family feels fortunate to be living the American dream. Many family members came from Mexico to the United States in search of a better life. Originally ranchers from Jalisco, Mexico, the family migrated north to farm fields, orchards, and vineyards. They worked tirelessly in all aspects of the wine industry, from tending the vines to producing the wine. After over 40 years of farming the wines of Napa Valley, the family has further defined its agricultural heritage and takes great pride in sourcing grapes exclusively from vineyards farmed by the Yamas family. I sipped on a lovely 2018 Napa Valley Carnero Chardonnay while I was chatting with my friend, Ali Wood. For more information and to order, please go to yamasfamilywines.com. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme Podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Please know that this recording was done prior to the election results being certified and the events of January 6th. I'm so excited you're rocking your curls today, too. No, I'm like, I was like, I need to, I do heat like a couple times a year. I was like, I need to give it a rest. It was Honestly, I lived in Dallas for 15 years and it's so humid that I would always straight because I was like, you know what? If it's frizzy, it looks better frizzy straight than curly. I look like a crazy person. Yes, yes. People don't understand that. The When your hair is straightened and it goes into that, like it's taking in all the humidity, it's just a different vibe than if this is like... We look like Diana Ross otherwise. Right, and I, I, it's just not a look that I can do every day. Agreed. No, I totally agree with you. That's how I feel as well. Because, but when I moved back to San Diego, since I've moved back to California and at the end of January, it'll be four years that I've been back in California. And it's been a year and a half that I've been back in San Diego. I like rarely straighten my hair because the humidity is so different. Perfect. Yes. Hi, everyone. I honestly have whined about this so much that I had my perfect hair in San Diego. (laughs) <laughs> it was the salt in the air. It was the humid, the lack of humidity. It was the consistent weather. Like I, I didn't have to worry about going out one day and, oh my gosh, it's all of a sudden going to rain. Yes. 
And it's the product because you use the resource curls too, right? I use the resource. I'm not, I was using Diva Curl and then I stopped mm-hmm. using Diva Curl, not because it was doing anything to my hair, but because I found the resource curls. And I was like, dude, yeah. this girl has curly hair. She's Latina. She, it's independently owned. I'm going to try it. Never look back. See, and that's my thing is, so I used to use, I was stuck on like mousse from the salon that I went to in San Diego for the longest time, but it made my hair so dry. So then I went to Carol's daughters, but unfortunately, like my, my strands are fine. They don't do well with a lot of oil, a lot of like heavy, like heavier products. Yes. So that is why I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go with Russo's because my, my hair, my curl texture and porosity, it's not, it's not as textured as what I felt like a lot of the Carol's daughter products were made for. Yeah. So I'm like, I always look like a wet rat. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I agree with you because I have like, people are like, oh my gosh, your hair's so thick. I'm like, my hair isn't thick. I have a ton of it. Yes. It's actually like, if it's straight, it actually is really thin, but I have so much hair. It's just a lot. Like even this is not like, I've been trying to, I've been like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally feel you. Yeah. Like when I straighten my hair, it's like looking at a different person because I, I struggle to get volume. Like my hair, it's. The curly girl struggle, the curly girl struggle, girl. You feel what I feel. I feel what you feel. If you don't know, you don't know. And actually, I think I did a, I think you saw it. I did a, a reel where it's like, you know, when it's time to wash your hair, you start doing the head pat, start scrubbing, like, oh, time to wash the hair. <laughs> yeah, that was me a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, no, no, I have to do it. I don't want to, but I have to. Yeah, you get it. You get it. I only wash my hair once a week. Like somebody was actually asking me, how often do you wash your hair? I said, once a week. Same. And like, that is like on a good week. Like recently I went like 10, 11 days. <laughs> okay. I did too, because I, because I got my eyebrows like re redone and I was like, I, I don't want to mess with them. Yes. I'm not going to, I'm going to wait till I just had my hair in a, in a bun for a couple of the extra days. Same. As soon as I, like when I get my lashes done, I will hold out on my hair for as long as I can, because when I do do like a hot oil treatment or something, or if I sleep with something overnight, it always, I feel like because I sleep sideways, <laughs> it always ruins my lashes. And then I wake up. And you cannot like, oh. have that. You can't have it ruining your lashes. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not sorry. You just can't have it. Do You can't do that. So I'm super excited. We're, we're doing this. Me too. I'm so happy. I know, I know. So before we get into the cheese Ali, I always get into the wine. I don't know. If, I know you are a twice yearly wine drinker. I, <laughs> I saw that, but I am a two, three, four times. <laughs> I listen, if I was not in school right now, I probably would indulge more than I do. But I, for some reason, I started struggling with like my productivity in the days immediately following. And I was like, no, I have aged and become one of those people that. Can oh my gosh. Well, we're going to get into the, to the schooling and everything, but today I'm drinking. This is Yamas family wines, Chardonnay. It looks amazing. And it's a Latino owned winery in Napa. 
Yes, ma'am. And the, it's a 2016. And let me tell, I'm going to read the tasting notes, but we, this was one of our featured wines on the virtual, on our virtual wine tasting. So I'll read the tasting notes, but I'm going to also kind of put in a couple of things. So it's 100% Chardonnay from Napa Valley's Bonham Ranch in the Carneros AVA. Um, lime zest, white stone fruit, and pineapple rind lead to the subtle flora aromas. On the palate, the lively medium light body is wrapped in layers of white peach, underripe pear, and apricot. The length shows hints of green grass and fresh herbs. This lean and bright wine is accessible now, but has a great aging potential for those who favor cellared wines like the great wines of Burgundy. So a couple of quick notes, because these are things that we've learned in the wine tasting is uh, when they talk about all of these fruits, I'm like, do you, are you adding fruit? No, these are just how the fruit ends up tasting based on where it's planted, where the grape is coming from, the weather, the soil, like all of those things end up in the, in the grape. Isn't that crazy? I've always wondered. And so you just educated me because I was like, wait a minute, they put all of this into the wine. I was like, I'm not understanding how like wineries and vineyards do that. No, it's just the great. Yeah. It's just how the grape comes out. So depending on the weather, depending on how much rain, depending on the soil, depending like when we were talking about these fires that were happening in Napa, they're like people had to, if they didn't harvest in time, cause it was happening during harvest season. Oh. So there's going to be very little varietals coming out of the Napa Sonoma area, this for a 2020 um, vintage, because the, the grapes suck up the smoke and you don't even know, like they don't even know until after, until they press the wine into all of that. And then you can taste the smoke because the grapes are very porous, so they take on all of that. So do you think that we are going to see some very high-priced 2020 Napa? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I want to prepare because I want to get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're going to see. But you know what? There's some other areas that are also up and coming. So, for example, we're doing another wine tasting, and um, it's out of the great, the wines are out of Lodi, California. Okay. And that's actually an up and coming area for wine. And they're not, because it's not Napa, it's not the same, you know, the cost for the land, the cost for the vineyards are not as much, they're actually less expensive wines, but there's some really good wines coming out of there. And then, yeah. Now, have you been, see, because I lived in Tierra Santa. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to Temecula on occasion. I don't know what Temecula is like now. I know it was like really like booming at the 2016, 17 time. Okay. I was always, they would really like top off with their wine. It is. I have not, because I've been, to be perfectly honest, I've really, especially this last quarter, been really trying to focus on wines that come from vintners that come from communities of color. I've not found a vintner in community that is comes from a community of color in Temecula. So uh, to if they want to gift me one and try it, I will certainly do that. Like I'm not gonna say no, right? <laughs> I was really hoping that it, it was gonna go one of two ways because the housing costs there were really low. Yeah, the central San Diego for a yeah. while. So I was really hoping that it was going to attract a more 
diverse group of people mm-hmm. to move out there, but it just, that didn't happen. Okay. No, what happens in that, and we'll talk about that. Cause I feel like we, you know, I know there's a lot of things that we both are very passionate about in regards to those types of things. Um, what happens is the caucasity of it all. I will just <laughs> oh, this my word. I love it. Is <laughs> that they will leave the cities and go into these new developing communities that are really cheap. And then they put their money into those communities. And then since schools are funded by property taxes and everything, then they end up in, they kind of develop their own neighborhoods to foster what they want to foster. That tends to be exclusionary of people of color. Not all the time, but in a majority of the times, that's what happens. Yeah, you're not, you, nothing you said was wrong. Yeah, (laughs) on on average, yeah. Yes. So the other thing I wanted to say about this wine, so this wine is actually a different Chardonnay because they don't age it in oak barrels, which is normally what gives it that very buttery type of flavor. I'm not normally a fan of Chardonnay. I will say that because of the butteriness, I like more crisp type of wine, you know, or very bold wines or very, I'm just not a very like buttery person because girl, look at me. I already no, I'm <laughs> I'm already smooth as butter. <laughs> I was like, you, you got it. <laughs> but um, so this gives it a more citrusy taste. So instead of being really buttery, it's actually a lot lighter when we when we had it during the wine tasting. Everybody was very surprised of, that they liked it because I think the majority of people were not sure about it being a Chardonnay, and everybody was very surprised and. Um, and really, really liked it. So I think that's just an awesome thing, right? To be able to drink, to make something a little bit different and want to make something that isn't like, it's still a Chardonnay, but it's not like all the other Chardonnay. So step down. It's like Chardonnay and it's like, what's that uh, reel or TikTok that's going around? They're like, add a little spice. Like, that's what it is. It's like, yes. 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 Yeah. Why not? So, all right, well, let's get into, cause we've been, I'm, I'm, I love when we get to talk about other things. So we get to talk about our hair, get to talk a little more, a little <laughs> bit more about the wine. I know that you live in the Maryland area now, mm-hmm. which you know what? I will have to, one of my best friends lives in that area as well. And so when I go, I'm going to have to let you know, cause Maryland is not all that big. <laughs> hey, Maryland is not that big. You can Hit most of what you want to hit in a day. <laughs> <laughs> but she she just just had a baby um, on Thanksgiving. Her, oh. her this little girl is so cute, and I was like, no, she's not gonna call me aunt. I'm like, I'm Thea J. She goes, I already knew you were gonna be Thea J. Yeah. Because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not auntie. I'm not auntie. I'm Thea J. That's what Jordan's gonna call me. <laughs> I love it. That's so exciting to have a girl too. It's like, that's so fun. I mean, I have four, my sister has four boys. So anytime another little girl comes into my life, I'm so excited because they're so much easier to shop for there. I can like, even today I can send things to my, to my nieces in, in Dallas. And they're like, Oh, Thea J, Thea J. Nah. The, the, the boys don't have the same. They're like, oh, thanks, DOJ. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, 
I want to hear about where you grew up, how you grew up, how your family dynamic was. So I like to point out that I was I was born in Wahua, Oahu, and that is where my soul tie is. Um, my mom, very unlike me, we're complete opposites, but she could not handle living on the island so far away from where she was from, which is Maryland. So I was raised here and it was, it was interesting. I grew up in, at the time, probably a roughly 90% white area. I remember being one of two biracial kids for the longest in not only my neighborhood, but my schools. It was crazy. Things were, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, I think things were a little bit more suppressed. So I, I didn't really know what was going on. Now I do. But yeah, it, you know, I, I grew up in a town called Elkridge where people, you know, regularly wear camo as a fashion statement. That's, that's the uniform and came from a hunting, fishing family on my mom's side and kind of a bit of a party family, which is probably why I slowed down on the wine a little bit on my <laughs> <laughs> I had some early intros to wine. So I was I was I was good. Well, don't you like how I said I drink wine, don't feel pressured to <laughs> Yes, because that's you know, there were the respective boundaries, which I know you and I are huge on boundaries, but I, I just love it because it's we we vibe. Yes. Yes. No, I love it. Well, I know you said you're like you're biracial. When did you realize, like, what is the dynamic between your parents? And when did you realize, like, what being biracial meant in your neighborhood, especially growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood? Yes. So I think I did not really realize what that meant until I was in my early 20s because I lived in San Diego. Um there were, I feel like there were so many things that I just didn't quite pick up on. I wanted, like my brother and I were, my, my dad is black, my mom is white. Um, sure, there's a makeup there on each side, but my brother and I were often <laughs> referred to as Mexicans. Um, I was about to ask, like, what would people refer, mm-hmm. refer to? You? Yeah, that was, that was really the top one was... You know, people would call us Mexican. Um, I have a different nose than my brother has. My brother has like a little, like my mom's little perky nose. And um, I was always told like, oh, well, you, you look like a Middle Eastern person or something. I think it looks very native. That's what I. Yeah. And that comes from. um, So when I refer to my mom and my dad, I'm referring to my mom and my stepdad. My father has passed, but on my father's side of the family, that is where that comes from. So it is, and I don't know anything whatsoever really about their makeup and what they are. So I've always just been like, I don't know. Like I'm just, (laughs) by looking at people, I'm black and white. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I got that a lot too growing up. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I was like, but no, we're not Mexican. And first, my brother, he, I think, really held on to that way longer than I did. Um, I mean, we we grew up because, you know, because our dad was Black, we, we grew up with a diverse group of people. People mm-hmm. that he worked with were all different races, ethnicities. Um, you know, we spent our Saturdays 
hanging out at the flea market. Like that's what we did. There were no white people there other than my mom. (laughs) My parents to this day still, well, they're like, let's go to swap meet. They like to go to the Costa Costa Mesa. That's the fancy swap meet. Uh, meet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was our thing. And like the white kids didn't, they didn't understand it. They didn't do that. And uh, so, yeah, I think he, he was personally, why this, I'm telling you what I am. Why are you telling me that I'm something else? Because I do this or I, you know, even now all of my brother's friends, much like myself, when I lived in California, all of our friends were Latino or black because mm-hmm. that is where we fit. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's interesting, but yeah, early twenties is where I kind of was like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm different. But different is okay. Yeah. Um, but all of the assumptions around different and what that means about me and the fact that I, you know, obviously always got the, the, the like, you're so white, but not white enough to fit in with the actual, you know, to fit in yes. with that crowd. But yet they had the audacity, the caucasity, if you will. <laughs> oh, you're so white and you're into school and you speak this way and you dress this way. And I was like, what does any of just me? It's just me. What? How? Why is any of this attached to whiteness for you all? I'm not understanding. So yeah, that's where the slippery slope came. Yeah. When did you move to San Diego, and how long were you here? So I moved to San Diego. I want to say it was like January of 2016. I don't think it was 2015. I think it was 2016, and I left in 2018. So life. Yes. You know, I was with someone, I was married to someone that I never should have been married to. And I knew that from the jump, but you know, we live, we learn that's on growth. Yes. <laughs> you know what? Every time I hear you live, you learn, and then you get loves from that diaper commercial. <laughs> I always think of that like at the end. So, I know it's like the dumbest thing. That is st- talk about good marketing because I still think of that. I don't remember the last time I saw a Love's diaper commercial. I remember that. So in your case, you live, you learn, and you love yourself. Exactly, and that was that was what I needed to do. I spent way too much time during that time period concerned. You know, I was essentially being told that like every little thing I did was wrong. Mm-hmm. The way I dressed was wrong. My hair was wrong. You know, I worked in software, but I modeled on the side. That was wrong. That wasn't the life that this person wanted. And it was very, I think, honestly, there were so many uh, women empowerment groups in San Diego that really helped me just, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. People are talking about leaving toxic partners. People are talking about like ending lifelong friendships because their friends don't support what they're doing. And, you know, they, they don't do this and they don't do that. And I was like, whoa. And that's where I learned about boundaries <laughs> and where I learned wow. that. My whole, yeah. It was like my life needed to, my life needed to change. So your ex, your, your ex-husband was what, where did he fit on the racial spectrum. <laughs> yeah. So what is so funny to me is that I had received comments both in person and on social media about being married to a white man. My ex was not a white man. He, his mom was Asian 
and white. And we're not really sure. We believe that she was Filipino and white, but she was adopted. And his dad was Indian and African-American and Indian, like from India. Yeah. Just want to make sure we're clear. I know some people. Honestly, people think if to me at this point, if you hear Indian and you don't think from India, like you really need to have a change of mind. Exactly. And I'm always like, I'm like, I hope that we're beyond this. Um, So yeah, he was also, he was multiracial and very now looking back, I see the self-hate so clearly, but at the time I didn't realize that someone else's self-hate was being directly projected onto me yeah, and, and destroying my image that I had of myself. So it was kind of, it was wild. Yeah. Do you, do you hear a whistling? It's like very slight. Uh, tell me, hold on. Tell me if this changes something. Yeah. I can't hear it anymore. That's the air purifier. Uh, I turn off before all of my meetings because of the sound, but I had three back-to-back meetings earlier. So it became like, it becomes like white noise. To you. Yeah. You're like, I, I was like, am I hearing something? <laughs> no, no, no. I had a feeling because when I was like, no, I don't hear it. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Growing up, what did you envision for yourself? Because I know you're in STEM and I want to like talk about you getting into STEM, but I feel like, I mean, I'm older than you. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing maybe like a good 15. I think I'm like a good 15 years older than you. Okay. So 16 years older than you. (laughs) I knew, I knew, but you can't tell girl. Okay. Seasoned. Okay. (laughs) Nothing else. I am seasoned. I am not crisp. I love it. This is just how it is. So what was, okay, let's go back to the question because what kind of things did you envision for yourself growing up? Were, were things like math and science, were those things that you were drawn to when you were younger and growing up? I loved science with a fiery burning passion. I was obsessed with science. And I originally, like when I was little, little, I wanted to be a vet. By middle school, I wanted to be an attorney, like in, in seventh grade for my English project, I wrote a letter to Harvard. I got a package back from Harvard, like the whole, the whole thing. And wow. I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I, uh, science, it just, when I got into high school, I was kind of, I was a little bit frightened of math. It all makes sense now because I have ADHD, which I didn't know until I was like 25. So I had a really hard time being in the size classes that I was in, learning math in the crammed, super quick way that they teach you in Mm -hmm. public school. Um, It was extremely stressful for me, but I loved kind of math with science. So I always took a science every year. Um, I could have graduated high school after my sophomore year and I stayed and I just took my sciences in English loved chemistry, loved physics. Oh my gosh. You're total opposite of me. One after biology, I hated chemistry. Oh my gosh. Really? I I loved algebra. I hated geometry and trig. Hated it with a passion, (laughs) but I love algebra. And I tell people I use algebra to this day, like algebra is an everyday math because I can calculate in my head. Okay. If you want to be really real about it, I can calculate in my head if something's on sale, how much it's going to be off because that's all algebra. Yes. 
It is algebra is so important. And I do remember my teacher, he was so, he was like, if you never take another math class after this, because it was our last year of required math, Mm -hmm. he was like, this is what you need. Yeah. So all of you need to like succeed here. But uh, listen, I, listen, I feel you. I, I always tell everyone ever since even high school, I was like, I like math. I love science with math. So like right now I'm in statistics and social psychology because the two are directly related. Statistics is the math of the devil. It is the math of the devil. It is the math. Look, (laughs) I went to journalism school. The only college in the entire university that you could pass statistics with the D is when you're in the school of journalism. It's Listen, I, when I tell you that I just wrote like a scathing paragraph to my professor, I was like, this class has me stressed TF out because I think that this could ruin my GPA if I don't <laughs> focus for four hours every day on this class. I was like, this has got to end. But it is, you know what, when you look at statistics and you realize how much we use it every day, like, no, we don't need to be statisticians, but we use it every day. And that's what's so crazy to me is I didn't realize that that's what stats was, (laughs) that it was like the probability. It was just, everything is based on probability. So, yeah. uh, But yeah, I, you know, in high school, I kind of... I wanted to be a speech pathologist because um, I was fluent in sign language. So when I originally left for college, I was a speech and language pathology major. And that was all fun and games until I was working and I got to my internship and I saw what my job would be every day. And I was like, no. I was so like, what would your job have, would have been every day? Just, it was, it was the emotional toll of working with people of all age ranges, like because you're not just working with kids sometimes. Now, some people do SLPs that work in schools, but what I had was people who were like relearning. So you have stroke victims, you have people Uh that were injured by gun violence because I was in Queens, um, New York. And I was like, this is not happening. (laughs) And I was like- Their emotional toll, right? And their frustration because they're, I can only imagine if- Girl, we're very verbose people. And can you imagine if either of us had to relearn? I would be so frustrated. Screaming. (laughs) I would be screaming. Yeah. Oh my gosh. For sure. For sure. It was just a, you know, I was 17, a freshman in college. I was doing all of these different things. And I just, I called my parents one day and I was like, I can't do this. I need a break. This is not what I want to do with my life for a career. And I was getting almost a full ride. So I I didn't have a ton in student loans, but I just told them, I was like, I I don't want to keep going here and knowing that I I don't want to do anything with this degree at the end of it. So yeah, I left and I took a good eight years off. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. You want to know when I graduated college, 20 years after I graduated high school. That's going to be me. I'm like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. If you do not know right after high school, what you want to be and what you want to do, your brain is not even fully developed. And we pressure, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? It's okay. Take, I think we should encourage gap years. Yes. 
Yes. To just do it because you just don't know, you know, and then how many people don't even end up going into what they majored in because they're so pressured into taking a major, figuring out what you want to do for the rest of your life. How, when you're 18, even 22 years old, how do you know what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life? You don't like most people don't. And it's like, listen, it's okay. If you do, like if you've always wanted to be a doctor and you run out of high school, you go to college, you become a doctor. That is so fantastic. Yeah. I'm a little envious, but a, a lot of us don't have that chance. We don't have that reality. Like we don't have that understanding of who we are and what we want to be. And then even if you do, the capital isn't there. That's a whole nother struggle for so many kids of color. Like it's just the money's not there or they don't know how to get it. So how did you move? How did you end up getting from STEM? So you end up going back, you're taking a break. How do you end up finding your way into STEM? So ever since um, I was about 18, I had worked in chiropractic and it was, it was easy, left me a lot of flexibility. Chiropractors work like two full days a week (laughs) if if they're serious about what they do. Um, Mad love for chiropractors, but it's true. (laughs) And we used a software um, that was called ChiroTouch. And when I moved to San Diego, well, guess who was based in San Diego? It was ChiroTouch. I didn't have any real job experience other than, you know, working with that software. Yeah, yeah, working with that software, working with patients, running a front desk. And I went in for a marketing position because I had done some freelance marketing. Cause so I was like, Oh, you know, social media was new. Everyone was kind of learning and they picked someone else. And then I got a call from the VP of sales and he was like, well, would you ever consider a job in sales? And I was like, uh, did you meet me yesterday? Absolutely not. And he looked at me straight up and was like, I'm going to give you 72 hours to decide and let me know. That means you made an impression. You obviously made an impression. So I did it. And for my entire year and some change there, I swapped between first and second place in sales. Went from making cold calls for a couple months to handling companies that we acquired and took over. And it was, I don't know what was going on with me. I think it was just the, it was a little San Diego. It was a little okay, I need the money because like, I don't have any other experience and I don't have a degree. And that was where um, a lot of people were like, hey, you should go to Girls in Tech and you should go to some of their meetups and you should do this. Because I didn't really, I still at the time didn't really see myself as like a woman in STEM. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm in software sales. Like, even though I work with developers to help build, you know, I worked with like our Salesforce guru to help us build a better, like, Hey, you know, we really need like our dashboard to look more like this. This isn't working. Yeah. But I was like, Oh, I'm not like a real woman in STEM. Like, I don't want to go to those things. I don't really fit in. I don't belong, but I went and that is where I met Vanessa and I know you're familiar with Vanessa. Everyone is. She is the community. She was my number. I think she's my episode number three. Yes. When I first, when I first started the podcast. And she just made me feel so comfortable and introduced me to people who were doing all sorts of stuff in STEM. 
And she honest, like just hand to Bible was one of the only people that I had met in California who was constantly pointing out that you didn't have to be an engineer to be considered a woman in STEM or to be someone that was a part of the STEM community. Yes. Um, That was a huge part of our conversation. Huge. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, (laughs) just give her a little shout out. Yeah, no, it's because I was like, what do you, do you have to be an engineer? And she's like, no, (laughs) that's not like, that's not, you don't need to be an engineer to be considered working in STEM. No. She's amazing. She's amazing. And ever since then, I have just, I've worked for a smaller software company. Um, and now I work for a large and like product, like the producing that we do is really large. We're still like a just over 200 person team, which in comparison to other softwares is not huge, but they're powerful. And yeah, so that's kind of where it started. I just jumped in in a random position that I had no business being in. <laughs> <laughs> but you're back in school yeah. to fulfill the other dream that you've had, which is to become an attorney. Yeah. How are you preparing for that? And what is kind of fueling that goal? Because you, like not many people get to live their multiple dreams. So the fact that you're working in STEM, even if it wasn't exactly, it's still something that you were always passionate about when you were younger. And then you had a moment where you're like, I want to be an attorney. And now you're going to school to, to do that. So that's like, that's a really big thing that should be commended. Thank you. I appreciate that because to be quite honest with you, I've always felt a little like, okay, I wanted to work in software. So I made it happen. And then I needed a break. And I was like, you know what? I wanted to travel the world. So I became a flight attendant. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to software because that's really what's going to fund this education if no one gives me a scholarship. And I need what software companies just typically have so many great benefits. Um, but then as I, I was you know, just kind of in my groove and I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, I love customer success. I love the company that I'm with. I love the team that I'm with, but I'm not going to do this forever. And that was just kind of nagging at me. At the time, I was doing great. Uh, I was still in school. I was a double major in computer science and cybersecurity because that, because, yeah, because that is where I was like, okay, well, I'm back in tech. I might as well just do this and follow through, even though I don't want to. I was still in that phase of discovery of not really understanding that I didn't have to. Where did you get your degrees from? So I was going to um, CCBC, which is actually where an amazing cybersecurity woman, um, she just got on the 30 under 30 list and she went there as well, which was crazy. Um, They have a really awesome, both computer science and cybersecurity program, and that's here in the Baltimore area. So shout out to them for having such a great affordable program. <laughs> if someone's in the area <laughs> and needs, you know, is trying to get into to tech in that capacity. So yeah, it was, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm not enjoying this. And then I just sat down with my, at the time, Austin was my boyfriend at the time. And I sat down with him and I was like, I am seeing on LinkedIn, I started searching for civil rights attorneys, just on a whim. I was like, you know what? 
I'm so passionate about this. I'm speaking about this all of the time. There's so many things wrong in this world, but this is something that just like makes my chest on fire. And I felt like, okay, no, like some, something, someone is telling me that this is the path that I should be looking at. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I think that I can figure out a way to afford it, which was something that I never thought was going to be possible. And here we are. (laughs) So as far as like preparing lots of conferences that are sometimes really droney and I'm trying to find and connect with as many people who have gone through the process and are at different stages in their career still in school um, because I have not even taken the LSAT yet, but everyone keeps saying they're like, listen, the LSAT is not your measure of worth as a lawyer. So don't get all, you know, I love to get anxious. So you just want enough to get into the school that you want. Exactly. Which for me, you know, the school doesn't matter anymore. Sure. Cool. Would it be interesting or neat or make a great story to go to an Ivy league yeah, but my husband's in the Air Force. So I'm going to go to school where we're stationed and I'm probably going to go to somewhere that has, you know, a diverse faculty and gives me a fat check to go there. <laughs> if we're being honest, I am telling people, I'm like, it's just like brands. Don't look at the brands. Look at the, like the ethics. Yeah. And what's going to actually leave you feeling good when you're done with that. So, oh my, I mean, I think that we forget that because somebody had asked me, well, what if so-and-so pays you this much money? And I'm like, but if it's not something I believe in, then it doesn't matter. Cause I don't want, I don't want to do anything that makes me feel gross. No. Like I joke. Okay. I've joked about, I've told my mom, why did you have to give me standards? I can't be a sugar. I could never be a sugar baby to anybody. It creeps me out. Why did you have to do that to Like I would, I mean, but it's true. Like, true. I don't want to feel gross and icky about anything that I do. And that's okay. Because like, I, I've, I've had friends, listen, we, California, <laughs> you know, we know how things go. And there yeah. were a couple of my friends that I was like, I know what you're doing. And I'm like, you know what? That's your jam. You go girl, you get that car, you get that house. I do not judge anybody who does that. I wish that I didn't have the factor in me for me and me only that I I could be like, yeah, cool. I feel the same way. It's just it. And the same thing goes for where you go to school. Like I see people going to some of these schools that I recall like a year ago, having a race scandal among students and faculty giving lower grades to students of color. Oh my gosh. They knew that it was a student of color. And I'm like, I don't want your money. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not coming here to make you look good. I don't want your money. Um, I feel you. I have that, that strong, whatever is in my chest that is like, that makes me feel gross. And I don't want to do that. So Yeah. 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 And I think that's why when I, cause I, you know, was in public or in public relations. And that's why I stayed within like the nonprofit sector because I felt like what I was doing meant something. I didn't want to just feel like I was a cog and it can And, and if something really horrible happened, like, would I really be able to 
Like, honestly, would I be able to live with myself? Because when we were doing, you know, when you go to school and you do all these crisis management, crisis PR classes and case studies and everything. And I was, for example, like Firestone, when they were jacked up with the tires, with the, you know, with the Ford and the Firestone. I don't know if I would be able to be the face of the company and be like, oh, this is happening. And where did it know? Like, I would be like, what the fuck are you guys what doing? Happening? Yeah. What the hell is happening? Yeah. Why is this? Ha- like, I would, I think it would be very, very hard. So that's one reason I didn't ever go into like corporate PR just because for me, and again, I can only speak for myself. So don't come after me. Of course. I'm just saying for me, I, it's very hard for me to have a poker face in those types of situations. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be asking a ton of questions. <laughs> Well, speaking of your, uh, of Austin, of your husband now, you laughing at like me being like, wait a second. I love it. (laughs) You recently got married. Congratulations. Girl, look at that ring. Look at that ring. I know you guys can't see it. Maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll post it later, but I can see it. I can see it. Um, You guys got married during COVID. Like you, you postponed your wedding, right? Initially. We, we did and we didn't. We kind of told, honestly, we told different stories to different families. (laughs) Um, I feel like I've kind of made it unfortunately clear over the last couple months as to why, but um, we had told my parents first Um, because my dad is obsessed with him. My dad has never liked anyone. And my dad, I, they, there's a bromance. There's a total, I love that. And my brother can stand him, which is good because they're both Virgos. So that can get a little like Virgo (laughs) men are just kind of like lone wolf homebodies. Um, don't really like talking to people. But yeah, so we had told my parents, like, this is what we're going to do, because if if this is what we are going to do, we don't want to wait just to put on a show. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to do. And yeah, so then we just we just did it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the pictures are beautiful. You look gorgeous. Like you guys are a really disturbingly attractive couple. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not fair. (laughs) I was looking at the pictures and I was like, I mean, I think she's rad, but I kind of hate her a little bit right now. (laughs) Honestly, I have to tell you so bad. I really just felt like when I saw the pictures of me crying, I was like, I was like, okay, these actually look really good. And this is just me talking to me. And if I post this, I was like, I feel like I'm going to start some shit because people are going to be like, why are you posting these photos of you looking good while crying? <laughs> I don't Wait, know. No, look, here's the thing. We have to hype ourselves up sometimes. And because I've actually just been going through this because a lot of really rad stuff that I will tell you offline has been happening for the podcast and stuff. And and I can't wait to share it with everybody. But right now I just can't say anything. I know. <laughs> but I, you know, we go through those moments where it's whether it's personally or professionally, where we feel like, should I post this? Should I say anything? Am I bragging? Am I not bragging? But if it was anybody else, I would tell my friends, girl, own that. Right. Own that. Like you need, but when it comes to ourselves, we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't right. know. Yes. The amount of times that I have posted something and then deleted it because I just 
I wasn't physically ready. Like my mental was like, you're not ready to post that because you're going to be super self-conscious about it. You're going to act a fool every time you see, you know, if anybody posts any comp, which I think we probably both have a pretty curated social media presence. Yeah. So every once in a while, I get like a crazy random comment from who knows where. And it's always like, I'm like, why, why are you here? Yeah. It does. Yeah. We're very, very hard on ourselves. For sure. Well, so your husband is Caucasian. He's white. He is. And how was that? How were you able to fall into that? Because you have like all of this diversity. You've married somebody previously in diversity. What was that relation, like building that relationship? (laughs) What was building that relationship like? And how was he? Because you're somebody who's very vocal in regards to social injustice, equality, equity, all of these things. So how, how was that growing together and building that relationship? Yeah. So I, I'll start by saying this. I dated so much between my ex and him. Um, I encourage everyone to do that. If they have like a lull (laughs) and they're not specifically working on themselves during that window, like I did some exploring and I kind of figured out like, okay, hmm, these are interesting things. Like, I know that this is who I am. And this guy has this particular point of view or these traits that just do not match up with who I am. And I'm I'm not changing my core beliefs for anyone because they are too many. As you should never change your core beliefs. Never, because- Compromise is different than your core beliefs. Like me saying, do I want to wear my hair- straight or curly. Okay. Oh, maybe I'm going this event. I'll wear it straight. That's a compromise. Me saying, Oh, let me go to a KKK event. That is not part of my core person. Yes. That doesn't fit in what mama has going on. No proud boys for me. Okay. We don't, we don't want it. The only proud boys I want are tons of pride flag wearing gay men around me. Okay. I don't want any other proud boys around me. So yeah, it was kind of, Um, and we had a lot of discussions about it once we were dating, but I definitely, I grilled him. So we met on Bumble, which was, which my friends in San Diego told me to do. They were like, you're never going first. I didn't want to date at all because first I was like, Oh, your girl's going to be single forever. I'm hyper independent because of life trauma. Um, but I just am. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we met on Bumble when I moved back here to Maryland and I was like grilling him on dates. Like I was like, well, what's your stance on abortion? And cause he came from a super Catholic family. Yeah. We were oh, getting tacos. That's a good we question. Tacos, okay. We were in Baltimore at this taco place called Nacho Mama. And I just looked at him and I was like, yeah, what's your stance on abortion? How do you feel about gay marriage? What just all of these things that I felt like he had grown up with completely family opposite views, opposite side. Yeah. And his answers were, he was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, we're doing this. You're asking yeah. me these questions. <laughs> I was like, yeah, your girl's got a big brain, a big mouth. And I will fight over these issues until the day that I die because it matters. So we had, we had talked about it and he was like, well, 
this is interesting. Like I've, I've never been asked this before. He's like, I just don't, he doesn't side with his family, uh-huh. which is problematic for him. Oh, yeah. But in, you know, in that sense that has definitely, especially this year has become increasingly problematic for us. But just in the sense of like being like, why don't you understand these basic concepts? Yeah. Um, And he's had a lot of really hard discussions with people, even people that he worked with, you know, like someone one time, and this is unfortunate, you know, he's in the Air Force. So someone had sent in a group chat, like a NASCAR, when NASCAR banned the Confederate flags, someone sent a meme to the group chat of his particular group that he works in of someone waving a KKK hat at the end of like a NASCAR race. And he called the guy on the way home and was like, you not only are are just being completely ignorant. He was like, you're disrespecting me. He's like, my wife is a woman of color. He's like, I have so many friends that are people of color. He's like, you're disrespecting me. You're disrespecting my wife. And then you're trying to- And how many people in the service, like there's so many people in service that that are people of color because they can't afford to go straight to college. That's like a whole other discussion. That's a whole other thing. But he told this guy, he was like, you know, as a leader, he was like, I'm, he's like, I'm really disgusted in you. And I definitely have a different view of you after this. And he has not spoke about this person since. And that was back like when COVID was just starting and race stuff was getting really crazy. He says that I have helped him work on his boundaries and have kind of, I think he grew up like I did as well. I grew up afraid to speak my mind. Um, My mom's family was not politically correct. And there are a lot of them that I do not speak to because they are racists or bigots. And yeah, it's, it's been interesting, but we don't have any problems because of it. We have problems with people right? <laughs> because of it, both individually and collectively. Um, yeah, I think I have seen other folks who their interracial relationships are not, they're non-existent or they're not going that way, but um, he has such a big heart. And I think it just like, I think overall, he was just really disappointed to find out that so many people. Yeah, I mean, it definitely opened you know, people say before 2020 said it's the year of vision. I still agree. What well, it oh, is the year of vision. It opened our eyes to a lot of things and a lot of people that you didn't realize that their point of view was so. I, and I look, I lived in Texas for 15 years. I know a lot of people who are Republican and I've not ever had a problem. I do know a lot of people who are Republican who never voted for Trump. I have a lot of people who are Republican who voted for Trump the first time. And within months, they were like, oh, hell no. What the hell did I do? And then I've had some people who would do it, who probably voted for him again. And I'm just like, I don't understand it. You know, you realize who you are, right? If you were on fire, he wouldn't even pee on you. Yes. I say that to people all the time. I'm like, if he saw you stroking out on the street, he would walk by and probably tell his security to like do something with you. Yeah, to move and, you. Like get it out of here. So yeah, that's I mean, and I'll I'll be frank, he's he is probably so ashamed about this, which he is because he's expressed, but he grew up in Pennsylvania and not in a diverse area whatsoever. He voted for Trump the first time. And we had a candid con- the same night we had the abortion conversation. I also asked who he voted for. So we had a conversation about that where he was like the amount of 
how quickly I realized what I had done after it was already done. He was very disturbed by that and has just constantly, even before me, was just done with like Trump and who he was and the fact that he's like, I don't stand for any of this stuff. Like, this is not what I thought we were I think, I mean, I think a lot of people were bamboozled, but if you're the second time around, you're, you knew what you were getting. Like there's, there's no like bamboozlement going on. There's there's none. Yeah. Yeah. I think like for me, this is something that I was saying to somebody else recently is, you know, if I was in my twenties to be able to, cause I, I recently went out on a date with somebody who then he's like, He's yeah, he's a little bit older. He's a white guy. And he was like, I feel like I'm not woke enough for you because I was asking him questions. And I said, that's a valid concern. That was my response. I was like, that's a valid concern because, you know, because I am very passionate about these things. I've had people like PR people reach out to me and want certain people on. And I'm like, you're a cis older white man. Like you're not my audience. You're not like, yeah. and I know who my audience is and I know who I want on here. And your story is continually being told. Yeah. It's not I, who I want on my, you know, it just, yeah, no, I understand. And I think that's a good, that's a good observation for him to have made. I, well, okay. So here's how I I feel like, I feel like if I was in my twenties, right. I have more grace in regards to that, to explain certain things and to, I'm 43. I feel like, oh, do I really need to explain why my family does this? Do I, I'm tired. (laughs) No, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think maybe if I was in my twenties, and that's why I tend to like still date men of color. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I have it. And it's different also if a guy grows up in, in a community of color, right? You will never personally understand if you're not, yeah. right? Like I can never say what the black woman's experience is. I can never, ever say that. I can only say and and even like an indigenous woman or even a darker skinned Latina, I'm a light skinned Latina. I can only tell you what my experience is. That's it. No, I I absolutely agree with that. And I think it is, <laughs> I don't want to say like I got lucky in a sense, but I think one of the things that made me more comfortable was that none of his closest friends were white. Mm-hmm. That was my first indicator that, okay, all right. Cause normally I look at white dudes, like even when I was in there, I look at white dudes and I'd be like, your whole squad's white. Yeah. You look like a fraternity. You, this looks like a frat. Yeah. yeah. I was like, not, I'm not with this. And not that, you know, having diverse friends is an immediate indicator of someone's diversity or their understanding, but his, that, that was his community. That was the community that he got along with because he didn't like the way that a lot of the white guys that he went to training with behaved the way. And that is a very telling person. Like what, who have you made your community? Yes. That is very, very telling. So obviously you're very vocal about social injustice on your Instagram. We're coming, you know, obviously the last four years have been very polarizing and not to say that it will not continue to be polarizing. I, I feel like we're hopefully we're coming out of a time that it's that polarizing, but I just don't know. 
I, it's definitely the most polarizing thing I've seen in my lifetime, to be perfectly honest. Um, what, how, or how hopeful are you about the future? Mm, cautiously optimistic, heavy on the cautiously. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> because I, I was just talking about my, uh, with my boss about this today. And I told her, I said, you know, there is a weight that has been lifted because we got over the hurdle of the election, the recounts, the legal stuff is all a sham. It's, it's really, um, I just finished a paper on cognitive dissonance and that's what it is. That is what <laughs> cognitive dissonance is one of the factors that causes people to have, to follow cults. Which, which is what these people are in. It is a cult. How in the hell? Because they, that is their, they want to hold so tightly to their supremacy and their power that they are willing to grasp at anything and throw out all rationale, everything just to hold on to that, which is terrifying, which is why. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. We have so much work to do. Like when I sit on any given day, I know you've seen my Instagram stories sometimes. It is all over the place. I'm like, but I love it. I love it. But it's so hard because I'm like, oh my God, kids in cages, call your senator. This person's trial's coming up. Like we've got to do this. And it's, there's so much to work on. So I'm trying to be like, okay, we got through this. There's still the potential that some crazy stuff could go down. I mean, I got to tell you, we've, we're a pretty Biden area up here. Um, I mean, like people have it painted on their fences. Oh, wow. But then the city over, we've got someone who has a tractor trailer in their front yard that says Trump train, and it's still there. And people still have their flags up. And now our Biden neighbors are putting out, get over it, you lost signs. So we're in a real, and we're, we went blue up here, you know, the the system went blue. San Diego even went blue. San Diego, we have our first openly gay mayor. Which is, which is beautiful. Yeah. The city council is now majority blue. Um, There's a, I mean, obviously there's pockets, you know, but Orange County in 2018, flip blue and you know you just see these things and you're like I I I agree I'm cautiously optimistic I think I had posted sometime like what yes came out I didn't realize how emotional I was going to be like literally election night two friends came over like I've been so sequestered because and I it's so hard because I'm so social and I love being out but I've been very I've only, I've, I don't think I've hung out with more than two people at a time ever. And it's usually the same kind of people. Yeah. So they came over for the election night and they're freaking out. And I'm the one who's like Zen, right? You guys, we knew we weren't going to know tonight. Just chill <laughs> out. Just calm down. Oh my gosh. I'm like, calm down. Look at how many votes yeah. are still out to be counted. Don't worry about it. The next day I woke up and I couldn't move. I was just like, oh my gosh. Cause it, all the stress. <laughs> Yes. Saturday when they did said the president elect Biden next day, I woke up and I could move my head. No freaking joke. All of that energy. And it's just to, and then I had posted something about I'm hopeful, but not blind. Yes. 
I think I posted something to the, to that effect, which is, that's the, that's the reality. Like, I just, I don't want anyone to put their blinders on because we have a habit of doing that because as soon as things settle, we all get comfortable. And then we slowly, like we may never stop, but I mean, if we look around our social media, no one well, actually, there's the same few of you who are still going hard for things as we were before, but a lot of the other people, silent. Yeah. Everything is back to normal. They're not talking about anything controversial, which I want to be clear, nothing surrounding civil and human rights or anything be controversial. It's not controversial and it's not political. It is a matter of Right. And I feel that the government should have no say in any of that stuff. But well, oh, my gosh, when I I was hearing people like talking about no joke, I was hearing and I'm sure you've heard it, too. People about wearing a mask, my body, my choice. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? You just saw that today. Did you? I was so pissed. The first time I saw, I was like, okay, well, guess what? Get out of my fucking uterus. Yes, could not. That's how I felt. I could not believe that that I came across that today on Instagram. It was in a reel. It was someone making fun of someone saying that, but they posted her original video and she was like outside of a Walmart or something. And I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me how many years we have been fighting and using the slogan, my body, my choice, but that is, that is their tactic. Yes. Well, it's the same thing with the save the children, right? These QAnon people that the hashtag save the children, that was a legitimate hashtag that they hijacked. And I've talked to people that work in foster care that work in like legitimate things that there are is potential for human trafficking. And they're like, you know, they're like, we appreciate the, the spotlight that has been shown on human trafficking, but they are twisting everything and it's not even correct. Like they're twi- they're taking slivers of true information and then completely twisting it. So what's regurgitated is not even correct at this point. And the fact that so many people fell for it. So I feel like 2020 was the year of vision, but it also was the year of people getting so mind fucked. They didn't even know what they were endorsing or sharing or celebrating or whatever. Some people maybe. And then I've heard some people they've gotten over it. They're like, no, no, no. I, I saw more stuff and that doesn't make any sense. And so I, it's just been a really, really crazy year. It's been a crazy year. And there's a lot of, this is that point where I think we are all seeing how important having ethics actually be at the forefront of technology is because of the fact that this misinformation spreads like wildfire and people who were even just teetering if they're being bombarded with all of this false information Click on one thing, and then that's all you get. That's all. You, yes. The algorithm or is all of a sudden showing you all of this all the time. And as much as you're going to believe it, if that's all you're getting fed. Yes. And I think what kind of has concerned me is I'm really, really glad that people are talking about gaslighting because you can, suffer from being like gaslighting at any age, yeah. it is just psychology. I mean, that is 
again, circling, like that's what happened. The Cheeto, the human Cheeto is a professional gaslighter. Professional gaslighter. And people don't realize you could be this, you could be smart. You could be educated. You could be whatever. You could not even be on that side. And if that is all that you were being fed and that is what everyone around you is talking about, it's just like all of the white women that voted for Trump and we're still trying to figure out what the fuck happened. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, so this is my, my theory on it. And this is what I've talked to my, um, my old boss and mentor. Uh, I was saying all of these white women are directly within this power vacuum because the most of the men that they're married to are white men, not all of them, but most of the time. And when white men hold all the power and you're, within the vicinity of that power, you don't want to let that go. So of course, that's where you're, you're going to vote in your best interest. If your best interests are the white men who hold power and you're married to them, you're related to them, you're whatever within that, then that's where, uh, then that's where your vote's going to go because you're part of the power structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> 150% true. I'm over here. I'm like, really? I'm like, Yes. Give it to me. (laughs) But it is, it's really true. And, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, why didn't they vote in the interests of, of women? And why didn't they do this? And again, in these power structures, in any situation where a man holds the power over a woman, if a woman doesn't have the self-sufficiency to take care of herself for whatever reason, whether it's because she has dedicated her life to being a mother and a housewife, whatever it may be. If a man holds the power in a situation, what is she, what is she going to do? Even have you seen the FX show, Miss America? No, I haven't watched that show. Oh, (laughs) it's it's based on true story. Yeah. Watch it. You'll be pissed and you'll be like inspired and pissed off and all these things because that I like, (laughs) yeah. Because I like, ah, how can, because it's like, uh, I forget her name where she, where they're about the um, Equality Protection Act. And she was the woman who was like fighting hard against it. And she's like, I'm a powerful woman. I do. But then she's getting, there's so many microaggressions through, you're watching that and seeing that. And you're like, how do you not see these things? Right. I know. I know. It's very hard for, I think, the rest of us to understand because especially, you know, people of color in general, but I feel personally, because I'm a woman of color, I feel like women of color, we are hyper aware. Um, and, and again, I want to make it clear, not all skin folk are kin folk because I have seen some people of color, black people, Latinas, Indians, everyone doing some crazy things that the rest of us are like, Oh shit. Um, I will say I have some family members that I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> like, <I can't> <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're just kind of left with like, huh? Okay. <laughs> I don't know how you got there, but yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. so let's go at like, cause I, I can't believe it's been, we've already gone so long, so quick. We've just been going, going, going. When I asked you to describe your life in one word, you said lessons. Why did you choose that word? That is all I have had, whether positive or negative, good or bad. I, my, my life has really just been 
made up of various lessons that are that are guiding me. I mean, I could have used experiences, but I kind of feel like if I don't, when I call it lessons, that is something that I have learned from either more that I need to do or things that I need to not do again. <laughs> yeah. And how can people reach you on social media? Stop. You this you want to follow this girl, I promise you guys. <laughs> like seriously, she has all she has things to say and she's amazingly beautiful inside and out. So you want to follow her. So tell people how they can follow I'm a little off the wall, you guys, especially early in the morning. But um, I have Instagram only, which is at Hey, H-E-Y, Allie Marie, A-L-Y-M-A-R-I-E. And actually you can find me on LinkedIn by the same thing. I'm not very active on LinkedIn, but Instagram, that's my home. (laughs) And Allie, the week open and we close with wine. So I know you're, you've been tapering down right now, but what is your favorite type of wine, like red, white, rosé? And do you have a favorite brand? Oh my goodness. So I kind of am all over the place, but I did previously have a favorite bubbly that I liked, um, Okay. So we have a a vineyard here. Um, They're called Bordy and they made a, I believe it was a Chardonnay and it was like a limited edition Baltimore Orioles Chardonnay. And it was the best thing. I'm not, listen, I like bitter. I like bitter and red. That's really my (laughs) go-to. I know it's like kind of like me a little bitter, but kind of like delicious. I like But I was really for a while, I was a big, um, this is so horrible because, but you guys, it's so cheap. You can get it anywhere. Um, I believe it's uh, Freshenette and it comes in like a matte black bottle and it's good. It's cheap. It does the job. That was my, uh, that was my go-to. I'm above all, I don't care what it is as long as it has bubbles. Um, and that should explain why I'm tapering down. <laughs> <laughs> now I, well, yeah, if it's bubbles, I can see why. I could see why. One glass. Abby, you are amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me and to share your story. <laughs> oh, you're so awesome. Stop. Until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Med on our website, thewineandcheesemedpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese Mint on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Mint Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese Mint, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.